0: Hello, everyone. This is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at BreastCancer.org. I'm joined by Dr. Brian Wojciechowski, who is BreastCancer.org's medical advisor. We are down in San Antonio for the third day of the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. We heard some very interesting research today, a lot of it pertaining to chemotherapy regimens and also some interesting new results from a study looking at the incidence of breast cancer after hormonal fertility treatments um, so I think we'll but but first we're going to start with uh, the keynote presentation this morning which talked about uh, the psychosocial issues that women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer face during and particularly after treatment because survivorship issues are becoming huge in the breast cancer community as more and more women are living longer and longer after being diagnosed with breast cancer. So some of the things that were discussed, um, and Brian, please feel free to jump in at any time. Um, Anxiety and depression are some of the top two issues that people face during a diagnosis and after. um, Fatigue, lymphedema, Hot flashes, and there was also a strong call for really good communication from healthcare providers.
1: Yeah, and for me, the take home message here was that we as physicians need to utilize uh, other healthcare professionals, uh, counselors, social workers, nutritionists, more so that our patient's well being can be enhanced because if the patient is not well, she's not going to be able to tolerate her treatment, for example, or finish her hormone therapy. And if that's the case, then there's less of a chance that we're going to be able to help her, whether it means cure her cancer or keep her alive longer. Right. So this is really important to me, and I'm definitely going to be more proactive uh, addressing these issues even before treatment.
0: Oh, that's great. And I, I think that's really what people are looking for Um because one of the one of the things mentioned was that you know psychosocial issues used to be one poster in the very back corner of the poster room and this morning it was the keynote presentation there were several presentations on it there were several posters on it and you know, great changes are being made, and there's more research in this area, and more things are being done. So, that's hopeful, um, but certainly more things can be done, especially in the area of metastatic breast cancer. We really need to address that issue because more and more women are living longer and longer with metastatic breast cancer, too. So, and they have some special needs of their own. So, while things aren't perfect, we, I think we can say that. More research is being done, and things are looking up. These issues are starting to be
1: recognized. Yes, and as opposed to just worrying about right diagnosis and right treatment, doctors, and I can see myself doing this, are starting to to have survivorship clinics. Mm -hmm. I can imagine a dedicated survivorship visit where a patient meets with me and my nurse practitioner, and we discuss what it means to be a cancer survivor. Um, Anyone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer is a cancer survivor, Mm -hmm. and as you said, women are living a long time with the diagnosis. So there's a lot of issues, there's a lot of things they need to know about how they can manage long-term side effects and reduce their risk of having another cancer.
0: Right. So as we said, things are not perfect by any means, of course, but things are looking up and everyone seemed very hopeful that more changes, more positive changes are going to be coming. Um, then we moved on to some several sessions on chemotherapy regimens and looking at whether adding different chemotherapies or different combinations of chemotherapies would help particular types of breast cancer. And the first one was the first one we're going to talk about was whether adding carboplatin, which is a type of chemotherapy, it's a platinum chemotherapy, and or Avastin, which is a targeted therapy. To chemotherapy or to a, a before surgery, taxol regimen, and then that was followed by adriamycin and cytoxin, And what the researchers ultimately wanted to see was whether all these combinations of chemotherapies would have an effect on pathologic complete response. And we've talked we talked about that in an earlier podcast, but just in case. Somebody didn't listen to the earlier podcast, Brian, could you explain pathologic complete response again?
1: Yes, pathologic complete response is an endpoint we use in a clinical trial uh, for women who get their chemotherapy before surgery, also called preoperative or neoadjuvant therapy. The advantage to, to this endpoint is that you get meaningful data at a much earlier time frame, okay. so as opposed to waiting five or 10 years to get meaningful results, you do the chemo before the surgery. And if the chemo shrinks the tumor away completely, you have a pathologic uh, complete response. And that is, uh, we're learning more and more that that is a meaningful endpoint and it correlates well with overall survival. That is the woman's chance of, uh, you know, having her life saved by the the treatment. So So.
0: in other words, if the chemotherapy makes the cancer go away before surgery, that translates to a better prognosis, better outcomes
1: for the person. That is what seems to be emerging, especially um, Especially, we had some data this year at San Antonio correlating complete response rate before surgery to overall survival. So that's, what, that's, that's coming out.
0: Okay. So that's great. And then this particular study was looking at these chemotherapy regimens for triple negative breast cancer, correct?
1: Yeah, triple negative breast cancer is a special challenge because women with triple negative are not eligible to have hormone therapy or HER2-directed therapy, such as Herceptin. Mm-hmm. So the treatment options are more limited, and the cancer tends to be more aggressive. So they were looking at this study adding in new drugs to see if any of these drugs would help women with triple negative breast cancer. Uh, first of all, this they looked at Avastin, and there was really no benefit for Avastin. That's the targeted therapy, right. uh, Bevacizumab. It, it targets VEGF, which is an angiogenesis. Okay, you're going to have to explain that yeah. for us. Yeah, so angiogenesis is when the tumor grows its own blood supply. Okay. Tumors need oxygen and nutrients just like we do to grow. Mm-hmm. So this drug inhibits the blood supply to the tumor. Okay. It's been a rough couple of years for Avastin in terms right. of breast cancer. They lost their indication for metastatic breast cancer from the FDA. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it continues to be um, – it, it's another bad year for, for Avastin. Uh, really no benefit here. But the good news for women with triple negative breast cancer is that this study did show a benefit – for carboplatin, okay, and carboplatin is a standard chemotherapy drug. It's not a targeted therapy. Okay,
0: is it commonly used to treat triple negative breast cancer now, or is it kind of well? We'll try it if something else doesn't work.
1: Or I think at this point, it's mostly used in clinical trials. Okay, uh, we don't use it much in the clinic right now. But now that this data is coming out, and uh, and the study will go through the peer review and publication process mm-hmm. we may be using it more in the future and you know if a woman is if a woman has triple negative breast cancer and she's interested in being in a clinical trial she should ask her doctor if there are any clinical trials which use uh, drugs like carboplatin
0: okay and and I'm assuming that all the platinum kind of chemotherapy drugs would end in a in a platin like this one. Is there a similar name?
1: there's so, a, There's a few other drugs, but okay. they're not commonly used in breast cancer.
0: Okay, so carboplatin would probably be the big one to look for. I would think so. Okay. Okay, so it, yeah, if someone does ha, has been diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, is interested in being in a trial, maybe is not responding to current treatments that her doctor is trying. Um, this may be a good option to talk about with, with your doctor.
1: Yeah, I would bring it up.
0: Okay. Now, the second one we heard this morning is uh, very interesting. It's called the I-SPY-2 trial. And I thought this study was interesting for two reasons. One, because of the combination of uh, new drugs, experimental drugs, but also because of the study design. Can you tell us a little bit about that one?
1: Yeah, this is a, this is a great, uh, very clever uh, study designed by Hope Rugo and her colleagues. Who is a
0: member of the BreastCancer.org Professional Advisory Board, I should point out, so we only have the best people here.
1: Yes, she is. And this was very clever because they were basically looking at a bunch of different drug combinations in a bunch of different tumor subtypes. And as soon as one combination showed any promise in any given subtype, it basically graduated from this study and then goes on to um, a higher level study to prove its efficacy. And the first combination that graduated this study and showed promise was a combination of veliparib, which is a PARP inhibitor, and carboplatin in triple-negative breast cancer. Okay. So another study showing the benefit of platinum chemotherapy. In this very difficult to treat subtype of patients.
0: Okay, so that's two, two studies that showed a benefit for carboplatin on triple negative. Um, the belaparib now that's an experimental, um, either targeted therapy. Is that a targeted therapy or is uh, it a Yes, a it's a
1: drug? tyrosine kinase inhibitor. I don't, I don't okay. want to get too far sure. into the exact details of the mechanism. Uh, suffice it to say, it's a category of drugs, the PARP inhibitors that. Uh, there has been a lot of excitement about.
0: This. Okay. But it's not it's not a, uh, available yet. It's only experimental. You could only get this type of medicine, this particular medicine in a clinical trial. Correct. Okay. And um, yeah, and it was for triple negative breast cancer again, which is really good. And as, as Brian said, the researchers were looking at all different types of breast cancer. So they had it separated out, whether it was hormone receptor positive and HER2 positive and HER2 negative and hormone receptor negative and all the various combinations you could have, and whichever group was shown to benefit by the medicines, then it got moved out and potentially could go on to a bigger clinical trial and potentially get into the marketplace faster.
1: Yes, and they're doing it before uh, chemotherapy as well. Or before surgery, before, right? Before, I'm sorry, before yeah. surgery as well. So, you know, so basically we're getting more clever about testing drugs, Okay. Uh, developing new, new methods for getting the information, and we're getting it quicker.
0: That, which is great, because that's what everybody not wants, is, you know, let's get these, let's find out which treatments are beneficial, and if they are, let's figure out who they help and get them out there faster so we can help more people as quickly as possible. So that was, that was very, very cool. Um, maybe we'll see more studies that use this kind of design again. I know they, they mentioned it was a very special type of algorithm they were using. I don't really understand all that, but um, it, it sounded pretty cool.
1: Yes, I'm sure it was a very sophisticated computer <laughs> algorithm, but if this works out, it's going to be groundbreaking.
0: That's, that's great. Now, another study uh, was looking at the numbers of circulating tumor cells and how that number can be used or, or whether that number was going to change if, if different, uh, different chemotherapy regimens were tried. And it, Brian, can you help me understand a little bit exactly what a circulating tumor cell is?
1: Yes. Yeah, so in women with stage four breast cancer, that's the metastatic. Metastatic. Cell, okay. Uh, tumor cells will actually break off and circulate through the bloodstream. And there's a very sophisticated type of blood test we can do to detect those circulating tumor cells. Okay. It is known that women with, with high levels of circulating tumor cells have a worse prognosis. So they don't, they, they don't live as long. Their, their cancer is more likely to be aggressive. Okay. And in metastatic breast cancer, we're treating to prolong a woman's life. hmm not to cure right. her of the cancer. It's not curable. Mm-hmm. So, oftentimes when I'm treating a woman, I will be using one drug or drug combination until it's not working anymore. Okay. Until her cancer is growing despite being on that drug, and then I'll switch treatments. Okay. So, it's important to know when the drug stops working, and you can use different strategies. Classically, you do a scan every now and again, okay. and when the tumor's growing, you change. change. Okay. Um, but there's other ways to do it. You can send tumor markers, which are simple blood tests, uh, a number of a certain protein in the blood that may indicate the cancer getting worse, or you can use these circulating tumor cells. Okay. Now, this this can cause a lot of anxiety for patients, because sure. oftentimes, the circulating tumor cells can rise over time. You know, we'll check them even if the tumor isn't growing, even or? if the tumor's staying the same size. Okay. So you can imagine a situation where a woman with stage four breast cancer is getting this test checked every month, and the circulating cells keep going up and up and up. Oh, sure. And she's it's really scary. Herself yeah, it's, it's really scary, scary. And then we do a scan, and the the cancer is the same size. Okay. So you know, so so the investigators in this study. Uh, We're trying to find out if doing this test, this circulating tumor cell test, um, was any use okay, Okay. in terms of helping us uh, treat our patients. So Mm -hmm. what they did was they started chemotherapy, and after one round of chemo, they would check for the circulating tumor cells. And if the circulating tumor cells were high above a certain range – they would switch to a different chemotherapy. Okay. Um, so that was one group, and the other group would just stay on the same chemo, regardless of the circulating tumor cells, and they would stay on that chemo until their tumor got bigger.
0: And the, okay. And that's
1: the usual way that we do it. Okay. So when they analyzed the two groups, they found that uh, there was no difference. Oh,
0: okay. So it wasn't really a good indicator, or yeah,
1: it really wasn't a good test. All okay. It, all it really does is kind of confuse the situation and lead to more anxiety and more more scans for the patient okay um so you know not every practice has used circulating tumor cells okay um we were using them for a while in my practice and i did i did get the sense that they were causing more anxiety than than anything else but it you know it's good. It's good to know now that really it didn't make any difference. Okay. So you know, we're uh, per, for me personally, I will not be using these tests.
0: Okay. 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 Well, that's well. It's not the best uh, result. It's definitely good to know Certainly. To, to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we did have one study that had some. Um, well, more than one study, but this this next study had some positive news. Um, this was a, a, a meta-analysis, which I'm going to let Brian explain again, but we do know that this is one of the the top types of studies. So when a meta- meta-analysis study says something, it's usually very, very accurate. And the researchers were looking at the number of breast cancer cases that happened after hormonal fertility treatments because we know this is um, – a kind of a, a scary issue for many women. If they do want to have a child and they are having trouble conceiving, they may want to do this. But then there's a there's been a concern um, that this may increase the risk of breast cancer. So, but we had some positive news, right?
1: Yeah, this was a very big analysis of a bunch of smaller trials. Okay, um, you combine all the data. And basically analyze it as one huge trial, and that's called a meta-analysis. Now, it, this and, and that is considered to be the highest level of evidence. Now, this is a meta-analysis of um, a bunch of trials that are observational trials, so it's somewhat weaker than um, than other meta-analyses. Okay, but. When you
0: say observational, that means that there was they just watched to see what happened. There was no like they didn't have one group do one thing and one group do another thing. That's correct. They okay. you know
1: they might be looking at old charts, for okay. example, and you know, so it's not the um, it's not the the best type of study here, but it's probably the best that we have so far okay. on this topic. Okay. Okay. And what they basically found was you know, looking at the group of women who got the hormonal treatments versus the ones that did not, uh, there was no major difference in the risk of breast cancer.
0: Well, that's great. That's really good to know.
1: The author of the study uh, today said women should not be alarmed about the risk of breast cancer uh, with fertility treatments. Um, So that's a good thing. Now, what we should bear in mind is that you know some studies have shown a risk mm-hmm. some studies have not shown a risk there was a trend toward a higher risk for breast cancer in the studies that looked at 10 years and later okay. so it's hard to it's hard to truly rule out Um, an effect there, especially over the long term. Okay. But if there is an effect, it's probably not a large effect.
0: Okay. And when you say over the long term, does that mean that somebody would be continuing to get these hormonal therapy treatments for five or 10 years? Or is that just five or 10 years after you've had the hormonal therapy fertility treatments?
1: Yeah. It's five or 10 years after you've had the hormonal therapy because I think uh, when you actually get the drugs, it's short term.
0: Well, that's what I thought, but I just just yeah. wanted to double check because yeah, yeah. when I, you know, when she was talking about that, I'm like, wow, that seems like a long time for somebody to to stay on right, right. fertility so, treatment. So okay, yeah. okay, um, thanks for thanks for clarifying that. But I think that. it's
1: mostly reassuring. Yeah, that's
0: great. And the last research we wanted to talk about was actually something that's very close to home. Um, Breastcancer.org's president and founder, Dr. Marisa Weiss, presented a poster this morning and it was all about prevention, which is a topic that is very, very important to her. She's very passionate about helping women reduce their risk of breast cancer. And she and her colleagues uh, looked at or surveyed a number of women wanting to know what they would be willing to change in their lives that would reduce their risk of breast cancer. And it the results were a little bit disappointing because Women actually weren't really weren't really willing to change a whole lot of things. Um, they, you know, some of them were willing to change some exercise things. Some of them were willing to change their diet and uh, and maybe lose weight. And Marisa thought this may be because a lot of women are trying to lose weight or diet pretty much their whole lives. So it was familiar. It was comfortable. It wasn't really a big change. Um, the one thing most women were absolutely not willing to give up was alcohol. And while it's probably not surprising because, you know, you have a hard day at work, you want to come home, you have a glass of wine, Um, most of our social functions involve alcohol. Um, It's considered, you know, you have a lot of memories with alcohol and your friends and you do a lot of things together, you go to parties, you go out. So that's going to be a tough one. For anyone, but we do know that drinking alcohol increases the risk of breast cancer. So uh, it was it was very well received. She talked to a lot of people this morning. I happened to be there for part of her presentation, and then then she's going to move forward with it. And I believe the next part of the study is going to look at okay, how can we now that we know what women might be willing to change and what they're not willing to change, <laughs> how can we motivate them? And that's always a very tough thing too. Um, you know, with exercise, most women will say they know that exercise is beneficial for them in so many ways, whether it's heart health, breast health, overall health, but they don't have the time. And that's a tough one because how do you, you have to convince somebody to give up something else. So I believe that's the next phase of the research going forward is how do we motivate people to make these changes that they might be willing to do or that they're interested in doing but maybe don't know how or need a little bit more help to do.
1: Yeah, and we're not trying to blame the victim. Oh, absolutely,
0: like not, absolutely think, not, absolutely not. I
1: think it's important to realize that Number one, you don't have to cut your alcohol to zero. Right. Um, Generally speaking, the the data shows that anything over three alcoholic drinks per week is what increases your risk. Mm -hmm. But also to bear in mind that even if you never touch a, a drop of alcohol, you can still get breast cancer. Exactly. And you can't control all the risk factors. And I think an individual woman... Uh, has the right to know what could increase her risk of breast cancer, even if it's just a small amount, mm-hmm. and she should make an informed decision. Right. You know, some people might say, well, instead of cutting back on my alcohol, I am going to lose weight and exercise and get myself down to a healthy body weight. Sure. And if my patient said that to me, I would accept that.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to be perfect, and I think everybody realizes that. But it's just, it it was, I believe from Marisa's viewpoint, it was kind of good to know the areas that women were willing to make changes in. So you can kind of focus your efforts on those areas. Like, okay, if exercise and losing weight and diet is the area where people are willing to make changes, then yeah, let's focus on that. And we know that, you know, over a certain amount of drinks per week will increase risk but if people aren't willing to change that okay you know let's focus on the other stuff that we can change and that's what we tell people all the time too is focus on the things you can change and you're willing to change and go from there
1: yeah and we're about education at breastcancer.org if a woman knows these risk factors and knows these things she's ahead of the game
0: exactly well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. This has been the wrap-up of the third day of the 2013 San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. This is actually our final podcast from this year's Breast Cancer Symposium. So we will talk to you in the future. And again, thanks for listening.